Hey, are you wanting to learn more about your Enneagram type or maybe even discover your Enneagram type? Are you looking for how to take the Enneagram test? Well, check out Crosspoint Ministries' newly designed Enneagram testing experience. Crosspoint has been using the Enneagram with Christian pastors and leaders for more than 15 years, and they've made taking the WEPS test a simple and optimized experience. You'll get your test results immediately, no emails needed. Your results are displayed in a clean, easy-to-read, and downloadable format. Plus, you can create your own account where you can keep your test results, download your profile, and track your personal growth all in one place. To take the test, go to crosspointministry.com slash Enneacast, and you'll get 20% off your first test. Just use the code Enneacast at checkout. Again, go to crosspointministry.com slash Enneacast and start your journey today. Love thy neighborhood. Okay, cool. Oh, definitely. <laughs> awesome. Discipleship and missions. Mission. For, For modern, modern times. Having experienced conflict many times in my life, uh, and just the this nineness sort of experience, I, I like to frame it up as like this vacillation be- between compliance and defiance. And managing that tension is kind of what a day in the life feels like for us. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love That Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. 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 To the Enneacast. Hey, welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram. And today, we are wrapping up our series on conflict by talking about type nines and conflict, which is like their favorite thing ever. So just a reminder, uh, type nines, when they are healthy, they are patient, they're great listeners, they're relaxed, they are slow to pass judgment. And they are especially gifted at seeing all sides of an issue. Mm -hmm. But when they're unhealthy, they can become stubborn, passive aggressive, indecisive, and they avoid conflict at all costs. And they can become detached. Yeah. Yeah. They can become uh, sort of so numb to all things that they don't even, you know, connect to things. Yeah. So conflict, you know, can come from a thousand different places. We live in an age of conflict, as all of humanity always has. Uh, There's no shortage of conflict around us. But according to James chapter four, much of our conflict actually comes from our warring desires. And what is the desire of the nine? The nine has a core desire to be at peace and to have harmony. Uh, So what is this? What does this look like? What does that core desire manifest look like? Well, for the nine, they want to have internal peace and external peace. That means they are constantly spending their energy having these big boundaries, like walls, where they're not going to let any conflict in to disturb their peace, and they are not going to let any conflict out Mm -hmm. to disturb the group's peace. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they have to use that numbing and detachment, because like you said, 
there's always conflict. Yeah. I, would, I almost imagine like nines with like two shields and mm-hmm. one shield is against the outer world and one shield is against their inner world. Yeah. And they're just attempting to sort of hunker down between the two mm-hmm. and take a nap. You know? <laughs> I could just uh, take a nap under these just, shields. If I could just take a nap. Um, <laughs> so uh, so they, they try to achieve this desire by cultivating harmony and accommodating. And for a nine, conflict is naturally going to arise when there's just any sort of conflict. Uh, So nines will feel conflict, especially when they feel overlooked Mm -hmm. or dismissed or they're made to feel small. Right. They'll also be activated when they see the need to stir up conflict, like when they start to know, oh, this is a problem for me and it's reoccurring and I can't numb it out. They can also feel activated when they perceive others creating unnecessary conflict. Yeah. You know, like we say, oh, that could have been an email. I feel like for nines, they're like, oh, you couldn't narcotize that. Uh-huh. Like, you didn't really need to rock the boat for that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So if you think back to our episode on fighting words for each type, uh, or how to pick a fight with each type, uh, you know, the fighting words for a nine are telling them that they're a bully or that they're causing trouble mm-hmm. because the nine literally does everything they can to not be that kind of person. Um, so when conflict does happen, what do we do? Well, We remember Jesus's view of conflict. Uh, So if you go back to episode 65, we explored that. And in that episode, we talked about the fact that healthy conflict is good. It is transformative and it's an opportunity to love. So with this in mind, let's take a look at two things. First, how does type nine tend to approach conflict? And second, how does the nine resolve conflict? Okay, so Lindsay, how does type 9 tend to approach conflict? Well, we've been looking at the different social styles of each type from Rizzo and Hudson, and the 9 social style is in the withdrawn triad. So that's going to be alongside types 4 and 5. These are people that move away from others, a.k.a. withdraw, Mm -hmm. to get their own needs met. So when it comes to conflict... Nines are going to want to withdraw from an endlessly changing world in order to get their own peaceful, stable space. Mm -hmm. So they're going to kind of run away from conflict. Yeah. And again, they're they're running away from it externally and internally. Mm -hmm. So they're Mm -hmm. trying to find this space where their inner world is not getting activated too much, Mm -hmm. nor is their outer world uh, pushing against them too much. And so nines can, they withdraw... Um, their own wants, their own desires Mm -hmm. in a conflict. They just pull those back and they can just end up complying and accommodating other people in order to keep what they perceive as peace. I was just thinking, you know, if you have a desire, that in and of itself is a risk for conflict because Mm -hmm. if you want something and somebody else also wants that, there will be a conflict. Or Mm -hmm. if you want something, like if you're a spouse and you want chicken for dinner, but your wife is making beef, you know, there's just endless amounts of conflict when you want something. Yeah. But can you live a full life asleep to all your desires? Right. Because you won't live for anything. Yeah. Yeah. So when a nine starts to withdraw, it can cause them to become more attached to an idealized relationship in their mind, you know, that they've withdrawn Two, rather than the actual real ones, because the real ones are messy. So they can often retreat into kind of an imagination and a fantasy 
of what the world could be mm-hmm. instead of what it is. Yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of four energy, you know, yeah, in, yeah. in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but a strength is that withdrawing allows the nine to see multiple sides and viewpoints. In mm-hmm. fact, you know, the nine may be the most objective. They yeah. just have this ability to understand the motives and driving convictions of everybody. Mm-hmm. And they will likely never just sort of shoot off at the mouth, you know, spur of the moment. And if they take that time to withdraw, they can often come to a place of conviction where they go, okay, I've looked at all the sides. This is where I land, and this is why I land there. And that can drive the assertive types nuts, though, because the assertive types are like, no, I wanted to know right Right now. now. And the nine's like, well, no, I need a minute to think about Mm -hmm. this. Um, And so, uh, so, you know, if you're assertive type, just keep that in mind. They need need a runway. (laughs) Got to give them a runway. It's their strength. So these are some of the ways that a nine approaches conflict. Let's look at how a nine resolves conflict. So in addition to the social style triad, each type is also part of what Rizzo and Hudson call a conflict resolution style triad. And the nine's conflict resolution style is positive outlook. So they share this with the two and the seven. And Lindsay, what what does that look like? These people want to look on the rosy side of things. You know, so they don't really want to look at conflict. They're like, you know... It's going to all work out. Yeah. It's all going to be okay. Let's not sweat the small stuff. Let's think about how this could probably work out for the best. Yeah, don't focus on the negatives. Yeah, so they can reframe challenges and look at a broader context when other people are just looking at the conflict. Yeah. And it's kind of funny to think of the positive outlook with the withdrawing stance because mm-hmm. they're like, it's probably going to be okay. But just in case it's not, <laughs> I'm <ya>. out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You guys will handle it. It mm-hmm. will be fine. Mm-hmm. Goodbye. So the challenge is that sometimes people who use this dominant style avoid actively addressing conflicts when necessary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, you ignore something. Like if I ignore the fact that, you know, I've got credit card debt. Mm-hmm. Well, the credit card debt just grows every month. It's not like it's going to get smaller by me ignoring it. And, yeah. and the nines approach that they can take by trying to ignore issues at times, the problems just can become a lot bigger. Yes, and it makes people feel crazy. Yeah. So if you had a conflict with your wife and say words are spoken, or yeah, you're arguing about the fact that you won't look at your finances, you Uh know, and you have a big argument, and then you walk into the room acting like everything is fine, the other person feels crazy. Like, wait, I thought, I mean, did you not know that I was mad? Like, I'm still mad. We didn't work it out, you know? Apologies to my wife, because I've definitely done that. (laughs) Um, So if you are going into conflict with a nine, big tip here, don't pressure them to respond in a specific way. They will likely need to take their time. Mm -hmm. Nines need a runway. Uh, Many nines have learned throughout life that if they take long enough, everybody else will answer for them. Yes. If you genuinely want the nine to show up, You've got to give them the runway and the space to be able to get their plane off the ground and get some clarity for themselves. Mm-hmm. But it is also okay to give them a deadline. Oh, uh, it's helpful. To <laughs> I want to give them talk to you about this. Is two days a sufficient amount of time? Yeah. Could we speak on Friday or yes, whatever? Yes, totally, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they do share, you want to verbally affirm them for finally for for sharing their thoughts, mm-hmm. for sharing their convictions. Um, because you want to remind them that their contribution in this conflict is mm-hmm. really meaningful to you and really valuable mm-hmm. and really helpful. Uh, because remember, 
nines at their heart often believe that their presence doesn't matter. The world's going to do what the world's going to do, whether they show up or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, these are moments to remind them, no, you had a, you had an, uh, an impact on this. You changed this outcome. Right. Okay, so that's a nine's preferred way to resolve conflict. But let's talk some about ways that they can grow in resolving conflict. Right. Well, like you just said, the nine's desire is to be at peace. And they have that insecurity that their presence doesn't matter. But God responds to them with the healing message, your presence matters. And nines don't think it's okay for them to assert themselves because they might have a differing opinion or something that can cause conflict. But God tells them that true peace comes when they do show up with their whole self. Yeah, yeah. So in order to avoid falling into their deadly sin of sloth or indolence, Mm -hmm. the avoidance of hard work, mm-hmm. um, the nine will need to exercise exertion. Um, they will have to exert their energy and give their attention to, especially the things that actually do matter the most. Mm-hmm. Um, nines, uh, some nines I know are workaholics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not a matter necessarily of like, oh, laziness versus action, as much as it is an inattentiveness to the things that matter versus active attention to what matters. And so the nine has to show up for their life Mm -hmm. and give their energy and their effort and their presence to the things that really count. Mm. Um, So what are ways that they can do this during conflict? Show up is the first thing. Yeah. Like initiate conflict when it needs to be initiated. Or if the other person initiates, bring your presence. Don't retreat. Don't withdraw. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, Okay. So for each of the nine types, we are recommending a breath prayer. What is our recommended breath prayer for the nine? One that we have for the nine is as you're breathing in, just saying God is engaged. You know, God is active in our lives. He's engaged. And then as you breathe out, I can engage. Like I can show up. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I think it may be helpful for us to actually talk with a type nine about Mm -hmm. the role of conflict and how they handle it. So our guest today is Seth Abrams. Seth is a singer songwriter based in Nashville, Tennessee. He's the brain behind the popular Instagram account Integrated Enneagram. He's also the co-host of Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast focused on discovering our inner depths one fathom at a time. Along with his Enneagram work, Seth is also a pastor, a husband, and a father. And he's a nine on the Enneagram. Welcome to the show, Seth. Greetings. <laughs> How are you guys? <laughs> yeah, hey. we are good. It's so good to talk with you. Oh, it's good to be here. I actually, I'm, I'm kind of checking in with myself. And my, and as soon as you started saying the things about me, I could sense my heart's beating faster. Here we go. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here's what's great. You're excited, but even your presence makes me calmer. So, uh, yeah, so yeah. it's good, yeah, man. I, I have a way of, of doing that. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, talk to us about this. When did you first encounter the Enneagram and what insights did you gain from it? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it was, it was probably, and I'm really bad with time, but I think it's around nine years ago or so now. Um, so I work for a church and the two guys that started this church back then, they came from another church in Chicago, which the, the culture, they're kind of already had the Enneagram uh, a part of it. So they wanted to, you know, start this this new church kind of in the staff culture with it pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, I was really, 
honestly turned off by it at first. I'd never gotten into anything personality-wise, um, primarily. Well, with the Enneagram, you know, the symbol just kind of looked weird, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, Especially sure. back then for me, uh, it was a different version of myself nine years ago. But, um, but it also just like, don't put me in a box. How you're kind of framing this up is like, you're saying this is me and I'm, you're describing like minimal aspects of me. Whereas there's a whole other side of me that you don't know, you know? So it felt like, don't, don't, you know, kind of try and box me in here. That's, I don't want to have anything to do with whatever that is. So at first I was not into it at all, but then about six ish years ago now, I found myself in the middle of this room at a know your number conference with Suzanne Stabile and Ian Cron. Mm-hmm. And uh, just kind of, I, it hit me the the second day. Like, I think I'm going to do something with this the rest of my life. Uh, and so it just kind of, I, I really went anything that I really love or get into, I go head over heels with, mm-hmm. and just spend all my money and time and efforts and kind of lose myself in that. And so, I uh, I've I have 150 books on the Enneagram. And I've read most of them. Oh my you know? goodness! Wow. So I've wow. kind of overdone it in that sense. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that's, 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 uh, I guess a little bit more than you asked for, but where I first encountered the Enneagram, but, um, insights, I guess maybe, man, they abound really, but I, maybe specifically back then when I first got into it, the, Mm -hmm. the word that always comes to mind is potential, um, because I sort of uncovered or at least hit me, it hit me in a way that maybe I've been living one ninth of my capacity. Wow. Mm. So I was sort of just consumed by what else could I become? You know, like th- this teaching showed me that um, in a sense, I'd sort of limited myself to a collection of patterns and habits. Like I am way more than that. Right. And I didn't mm-hmm. know that. And so honestly, some part of that made me really angry. It made me really, I, I grieved over some stuff, but it also made me really, really angry that I was, uh, I guess maybe one way to say it is that I was sort of still confusing um, an unconscious strategy for childhood survival for my identity as an adult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yes. I confused a part of me, you know, for a, a whole, a whole, the whole of me. And so I just was consumed. What, what am I capable of? You know, that was probably one of the biggest insights for me, especially back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like what sustained me, you know, <laughs> being interested in the Enneagram because I, mm-hmm. I will be on that journey the rest of my life. Um, but also, you know, just the, the uh, sort of awakening to the repeated mistakes that I relationally make over and over because I keep using the same broken strategy. Um, that was especially one, but also, uh, being compassionate towards myself and other people. Compassion is, mm-hmm. has been especially a thing as well, mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to insights with the Enneagram for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's yeah. Really good. Two, two things to jump out first. If you're mm-hmm. a listener and you are wondering where's the largest Enneagram library in the world, uh, it's <laughs> now apparently know. now it, it's Seth's house. Uh, um, yeah. the, the second thing is like, you're tapping into sort of an, um, I think a really important, thought that is actually often missing in a lot of Enneagram teaching, which is a lot of modern approach to the Enneagram is like, oh, I'm this type. Mm -hmm. And the fixation is on the attributes of that type. Mm -hmm. But uh, the old school Enneagram teachers focused a lot more on, no, those are the types you, that's the attributes you possess. Mm -hmm. Look at all the things you have forsaken um, in the process. And so there was a lot more sense of um, um, what you've relinquished. Mm-hmm. That you probably should not have, mm-hmm. um, and I think I think that's an important distinction. Totally. Well, listen, stay with us because when we come back, we will be continuing our conversation with Seth Abram about conflict. Stay with us. Hey, listeners, it's Hannah. 
Over the past seven years, we've had over 300 alumni serve in our urban missions program who've come from all around the United States. This is Queen Sheila from Normal, Illinois. Hi, this is Daryl from New Albany, Indiana. This is Erica from Inez, Kentucky. Taylor from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. They've provided over 130,000 work hours free of charge to local ministries. And along their service journey, they have the opportunity to experience deep community and discipleship that prepare them for their next season of life. Like Gideon Battis from Wisconsin shared with us. I feel like Love Thy Neighborhood taught me that I can't make it through life on my own, but you need the people who are there, the deeper connections, the deeper relationships of those who will come along and when they see that you're not doing well, actually dig in to try to figure out what's wrong, what's going on, and how they can help. If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer internships for young adults ages 18 to 30 through the areas of service, community, and discipleship. You'll grow in your faith and your life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Welcome back to the IndieCast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. So we've been talking with Seth Abram about being a type nine. And Seth, I want to get in specifically to talking about conflict in particular. You know, as you just heard this episode, it's part of our series on conflict. So for you, how do you personally feel when conflict arises? Do you do you tend to fight? Do you tend to avoid? Do you tend to comply? Yeah. Um, you know, when I think of... Um, having, having experienced conflict many times in my life, uh, and just the, this nineness sort of experience, I, I like to frame it up as like this vacillation be- between compliance and defiance. Mm. Um, and managing that tension is kind of what a day in the life feels like for us. But I really like this question because it's, it's asking how I personally feel when conflict arises. Because mm-hmm. I like to say it's the person that actually contextualizes the experience of type. Because mm-hmm. conflict for me for this nine, for my personal experience, might not be conflictual for another person with the, with a type nine, right? So yeah. at some point, I think it actually gets problematic to say that that um, that nines uh, avoid conflict because we have to actually define what conflict means for each person. Because I just think that's semi helpful. But I, but I also, you know, when it comes to um, what personal conflict uh, kind of I guess looks like for me, this is all about. Um, the disruption of my personal story's version of what homeostasis feels like. Mm. So um, on a somatic level or a physical level, I think I can actually feel this in my gut, uh, like holding tension in that area. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, I was on this road trip and I uh, lost my phone and I just still decided to go on this six hour road trip without my phone, which felt crazy in the modern mm-hmm. world, you know, when I mm-hmm. become so attached to it. But I, I printed out the map on, on paper like I used to do in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just remember without the distraction of my phone, without the normal way of driving with music and whatever, I was more present to myself in the car. And I noticed probably a hundred times or more in this six hour drive um, that I would hold tension in my in my gut and then i would Mm. notice it and i'd let it go so like it's very often for me that i feel the physical uh sort of tension being held in in a specific area in my body um um yeah on an emotional level um for me it feels like this this deep unwillingness especially when i'm semi-aware of it uh, an unwillingness to be too deeply affected by life 
So I like yeah. to describe it as like there's this invisible wall between me and the the, the world, uh, and all the, the 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 experience of the external world in all its intensity hits this wall first, and then I experience the little trickle. So yeah, just this unwillingness to be affected, um, because you know if you're affected, especially emotionally, well then you're going to react, and reaction is what causes things. So let's just not react. Let's just let's just be uh, kind of play dead. Um, and then um, mentally, you know, it's around sort of this diffusion of my attention to distract, like we were naming earlier, to distract what's important to me. You know, when it comes to you asked uh, fighting, avoiding, complying with conflict, I think honestly, depending on the situation, I can do all three. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on, I would say, how I'm engaging anger. Am I allow? Am I running away from anger? Am I allowing anger to be a fuel for me to show up? Um, or am I going along with anger? You know, I'm mm-hmm. d- that would be complying or avoiding it or fighting with it. So t- to me, it has to do with where anger is, you know, for me in the specific situation. Yeah. 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 And, and of course, like all that requires acknowledging it, mm-hmm. you know, and being yes, attentive definitely. and you know, it, it was interesting hearing you talk because I heard, you know, you're a pastor. I heard this a few mm-hmm. years ago that, you know, one of the roles that a pastor uh, fills when they are teaching and preaching is that their goal is to affect the listener. Mm. But oftentimes the listener's goal is to be unaffected. It's like, I am just mm-hmm. want to go through this to fulfill my religious duties, but I actually don't want it to shape me or impact me in any. And so it's interesting, you know, that that uh, that you described it that way, like, um, yeah, the, the the goal is often with conflicts like, I just don't want to be affected, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Can you tell us about a conflict that you've had in the past where you saw yourself acting out of the more unhealthy side of your type? Um, yeah. <laughs> where do I start? Um, yeah, like, I, I guess, you know, it can be as simple as I'm looking to go to school, to start school to school, you know, right now. And I'm avoiding applying for that because <laughs> mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. just how much effort that will take, or at least it seems like in my brain, you know, it's as sim- simple as that. Or, um, I remember, uh, one of the first times I was on a podcast a few years ago, um, a friend of mine named Annie, uh, she, she's got a pretty big following and, and, uh, yeah, I was just sort of asked to go in a direction with a content that I was having a difficult time figuring out how to come up with. And, um, yeah, I just, it required such effort in my mind, such effort uh, to figure out that I avoided engaging the preparation until days before. Um, so, you know, the primary defense mechanism for the nine, narcotization, uh, I just used that as much as I could to distract myself from how much effort I knew it would take to put something really excellent together. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that then, you know, it just kept on building and building and one thing about nines is pressure feels makes something feel impossible. So it just compounded mm. and compounded until I felt entirely immobilized, which is like you know the moving to the sixth space where either the the value of that is it actually helps you start moving and doing something. Or for me in this specific situation, I felt so much anxiety that I was completely debilitated, and I actually had to ask my wife to help me get out of this help me i can't i can't move i don't know how mm-hmm. to do this yeah um so yeah you know it moved from like this m- nine distracting myself by menial things to unhealthy six with intense anxiety right mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah 
Okay, so that's kind of that's like the the downside, like the negative side. Like, mm-hmm. tell us about a conflict you had where you saw yourself acting out of the healthy side of your type. What was different? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, this just came to mind. You guys probably know the the quote from Viktor Frankl, right? Between stimulus and response, there's a space, and in that space is our power to choose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one way to frame this up, I think, at least for me in this situation, is the stimulus for the nine is disruption, which I maybe I should have said at the beginning. Like I actually prefer the word disruption instead of conflict for nines mm-hmm. because I think everybody experiences conflict, even specifically on, to your type. But disruption would be the stimulus for the nine, and the conditioned response is self-forgetting. Uh, mm-hmm. And that space in between is when I hold those both. And then what comes from that holding of those tension of opposites is my actual self-remembering then. And so an example of that recently uh, was I was on the phone with my wife um, and a topic came up that I, that I um, it actually, it sounded pretty bad, like the way that my wife was describing the behavior of this person. And I have this tendency <laughs> to uh, try and reconcile something way too early by bringing in the other side of it to help it feel balanced. Mm. Yeah. And this is super annoying, right? It really mm-hmm. is. Ask my wife. Uh, mm-hmm. So I had interrupted my wife um, at this point, and it was sounded like I was defending this bad behavior, but I wasn't. I was just trying to bring in the other side of it, which is strange, but I was trying to balance it. Um, but yeah, my, so I obviously wasn't hearing my wife because something felt disruptive. Something felt out of balance. Um, but I caught myself in the moment, right, of doing it. I caught myself right away. And so I took a deep breath um, and I felt this tension of opposites. Of mm-hmm. I, uh, And I felt, I felt it and I stayed with it. I stayed with the uncomfortable feeling of this tension. I noticed it in my gut uh, until it passed. And instead of reacting, I found the capacity to respond and actually apologize to my wife and said, hey, um, I, you know, I made space for there to be no resolve of conflict at all, actually. And that is when the peace came. That's when I found the real peace, not the avoidance kind of peace. But it, it just kind of required me to, to take a breath, take a pause and um, allow for there to be imbalance, I guess, you know, which was really weird and awkward. But yeah. Yeah. I feel like we all need that holy pause. Mm-hmm. And whatever is our thing, you know, for our archetype, that in that pause, we all are reflecting on a different thing that we need to pay attention to, to then react out of our healthy side. Mm. So that you beautifully illustrated that pause. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about how does our faith in Jesus tie in with all that? How does Jesus and faith impact the way you come into conflict? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, You know, I, personally, I look at the life of Jesus and especially how he engaged conflict. Um, you know, he engaged the systems that were in play, the, the, the false ways of righteousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... In a sense, you know, each enneagrammatic way to show up in the world can be a sort of performative identity that Jesus was opposed to. Mm. Um, yeah, and and I also just think of even specifically anger. You know, 
when it comes to anger can be, especially with whatever your story is, you can, we can have so many associations with like why anger is bad because of what we grew up with. Well, we saw when our parents got angry, you know, this bad thing happened. So anger is not a good thing, right? Um, well, uh, the Bible actually says, be angry and do not sin. Um, and you know, there's, there's at least one well-known story of Jesus getting pretty angry and, and actually physically doing some stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, for me, like Jesus mo- kind of really modeled and, and, and from my perspective, what it looks like to, uh, sort of retreat, uh, and, not just stay retreating, but actually how do I, from that experience, return with something that's actually responsive instead of reactive? And I, th- you know, anytime he goes and does something really difficult, where, where did he draw any of that energy and capacity from in the first place? He went and hung out with his father. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's, there's tons of ways to sort of, um, see how, what, how we're using the Enneagram and what, what, what this is after, how, how it helps us engage conflict. Uh, lines up with Jesus's story for sure, but but specifically how he modeled it with his life is kind of what what comes to to mind for me. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's really good when you even talk about um, that. Even in his withdrawing, he was engaging. Yeah, like yeah. his withdrawal wasn't his withdrawing wasn't for the purpose of disconnecting. It was actually for the purpose of connecting at a deeper level in a more meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, very different, very different than, you know, often the approaches that we tend to take where we're like, I'm done, I'm overwhelmed, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in, in the midst of conflict, what's one thing that you wish everyone could know about you or your type? Yeah. What comes to mind right now is, um, you know, all these stereotypes right around each of the numbers, like nines and conflict, uh, and that's the thing that people can get an- can get annoyed by. And I would I would just I would say, remember the thing that is specific to your type that's most difficult and vulnerable for you every time you're getting annoyed by conflict that nines can't deal with. Mm. It's the same thing, just your version of it or my yeah. version of it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think we forget that because it's not our experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's one thing. Um, also, like we mentioned before, conflict is around. Uh, n- not wanting to be called into more. Like, I'm not ready. Don't force me into it. I need to find uh, the capacity inside of me intrinsically before ex- extrinsically I'm forced into it. Um, so there's got to be some way of appealing to um, what's important to me uh, rather than you telling me. <laughs> you know, as a body type, don't mess with me. Don't tell me what to do. Uh, it especially like, uh, with, uh, with kids, you know, I think it's a, it's, it's such a hard thing when you realize you can't make anybody do anything, but especially for nines, you're not going to, you're not going to force me into doing anything. In fact, Mm -hmm. you only reinforce my position if you keep demanding or telling me what to do. So, uh, there's gotta be a way of appealing to, um, what is important to me. And so helping me reframe that if I engage what you're talking about, that's actually how I get peace. A, p- a piece of substance versus a piece of avoidance. Mm, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. Well, the virtue for your type is exertion. So how do you think exertion helps your type approach conflict in a healthier way? When I think of exertion, you know, I especially think of inertia, right? Inertia, mm-hmm. um, a body in motion stays in motion, body rest stays at rest. Uh, and inertia can be the sort of automatic way that nines 
operate in the world um, with, if we're not if we're not living without any presence in our life, you know. Um, so inertia can be helpful at times. It can be really, really detrimental at times. But I think the virtue um, is what helps me consistently show up fully to life. And I w- and that word consistent is really uh, important to me because that's what is difficult for the nine. It sounds so impossible to consistently show up. How do I do that? How do I? How can I always be on? Um, like I remember when the when the um, when the pandemic initially hit, um, it was really it was one of the hardest seasons of my life because um, you know how like regular life has compartmentalizations to it. Like I play the, the father role. I have the, the, the son-in-law hat that I put on. I play Mm -hmm. the husband role. I play the pastor role and all of these help, all of these different aspects help me sort of separate myself and, and uh, I don't know, keep playing different roles. But when the pandemic hit and I was at home and we had just had, we just had a baby as well. It was like Mm -hmm. all of the roles all at the same time. I always had to be playing. And I never had yeah, any yeah. space or time to just simply sit down and be me. It sort of, it was like I got consumed and swallowed whole by the experience of I just have to be on all the time with all these roles. Um, so the virtue is it's paradoxical in nature. Um, it helps me have the capacity to be able to consistently show up. That's that's the way I guess I would say it. But but I also think it's about um, uh, practice. And I think some of the, the virtue aspect is about practicing having a voice to find out I actually do have a valuable one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because the more I feel it, the more I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. That's what I want. Uh, so like I, if my days are considered considerably better, if I start going, uh, if I start my day at the gym, like if I yeah. physically exert myself, I know my capacity and I can do that the rest of the day, or at least I can tap back into it because, oh yeah, that's what this is like. Here we go. Uh, whereas if I just start my day without any level of anything, I can just stay right here all day. Mm-hmm. It's you like, know? it's like what you do in your body, the rest of you plays catch up and it's like, oh, that's what we're doing today. You know? Yeah. So like your mind and your heart sort of stay asleep if your body is not doing much. Totally. And conversely, if you get your body to like go, okay, guys, we're, we're going for a jog, mm-hmm. you know, that your heart's like, okay, we're living today. And your mind's like, all right, we're thinking about stuff today. Yeah. yeah that's really good. Uh, well, this has been great. Uh, lots of good conversation about conflict. I think it's time for us to go engage in some. So stay mm-hmm. with us because when we come back, we will be playing Name That Type with Seth Abram. Stay with us. This podcast is made possible because of generous supporters. If you would like to help this ministry continue to make this podcast, you can sign up to become a Patreon supporter. You would have options to unlock bonus interviews, be a part of exclusive live stream events, even be a part of an LTN book club. It's really easy to join. Just go to patreon.com slash love thy neighborhood. We'd love to have you with us as we explore discipleship and missions in our modern times. Again, go to patreon.com slash love thy neighborhood and sign up today.
Welcome back to the IndiaCast. Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. And now it's time for Name That Type. All right, our game today is Name That Type. Here's how it works. We are going to be given a category, and we will each take turns naming something within that category that we think represents each Enneagram type. For example, if the category is fruit, I might say pineapple for type four because it's unique and a bit prickly. Uh, After you answer for your turn, the next person will move on with the next type. If on your turn you are unable to come up with an answer within 10 seconds, then that same type will pass to the next person. We will each start out with nine points. Every time you have to pass, you lose a point. Whoever has the most points at the end wins. Are you both ready to play? Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, our category today is modes of transportation. Modes of transportation. Uh, okay, we're going to start with type one. Seth, we're going to have you go first and go. Uh, the, yeah, the streamlined bullet train. I've ridden one before. They're very streamlined and fast and aligned. Really good. That's really good. Lindsay? So for type two, I would say the minivan. Oh, that's a good mm-hmm. one. So that you could bring your friends along. You can also fill it full of casseroles or baked goods to yeah. take places. And there's also many helpful compartments yeah. in the minivan. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Type three, a private jet. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> with uh, with not only a pilot, but with, uh, you know, with their own private staff as well. Oh, of course. Taking yeah. care of them. Yeah. Private jet. Okay. Type four. Uh Oh, man. Um, uh-oh. Oh, our, our producer, up. our producer gave <laughs> me the X. <laughs> All right, I'm okay. Lindsay, say type four, VW van. A VW van. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quirky, like, like a hi- hippie, mm-hmm. hippie van. You can withdraw into the unknown. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, if it had been me, I would have said a Mad Max car. Like, have you ever seen <laughs> Mad Max? Like, yeah. Uh, type okay, five. I have a good one for type five. A type five. A hot air balloon by themselves. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say submarine. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that would be a good one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say a hot air balloon by themselves. So they get a bird's eye view mm-hmm. where they can observe mm-hmm. everything in solitude and mm-hmm. quiet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, Seth, type six. Yeah, uh, what came to mind was uh, what, are, what are those uh, those big armored cars that show up with the money? Yes. Armored oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. That is exactly what I was thinking, too. That's a good one. That's a good one. Okay, Lindsay type seven. Hang glider. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. Adventurous. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you yeah, could yeah. crash. Yeah. Um, type eight monster truck. Yes. Uh, and in particular, you know, like I grew up, uh, I was born in 79 in the 80s. There was a uh, big, Bigfoot was like the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the giant one. And like, it would just like drive over other cars. Yeah. I could totally see the eight, like in a traffic jam. Just driving over <laughs> just, all the just, cars. Just, just, <laughs> they're getting there. Get out of the way. They're only going to Walgreens, but they still need to, That's right. to That's right. get That's there right. before everybody else. Yep. Uh, okay, Seth, appropriately, type nine. Uh, 
I was trying to. I just I just looked this up. I don't know if you guys will, are familiar with the name of this, but a Peel P50. It's the world's mm-hmm. smallest car. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's That's just good. really unassuming, you know, just... Yeah, like a little clown car of sorts. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was thinking you could ride an elephant. Oh, you know, yeah. Slow. I guess we didn't really get too far beyond cars Powerful. and planes, did we? Yeah. Here, here was my, yeah. Here's mine for uh, for the nine. I was going to say uh, a sleeper car on a train. Yeah, oh. you can sleep and go at the same time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've beautiful scenery. i on trains before, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, so... Uh, Lindsay, you and I tied. <laughs> yes. So high five. Congratulations. Congrats. Go team. Congrats. <laughs> All right. And now it's time for five final questions. Number one, who are two people you currently admire? No mm. Bible characters allowed. Mm. Um. Yeah, I would say my buddy uh, Jason. He uh, he's a fellow pastor in South Bend, Indiana, and yeah, he's just one of the most inspirational people in my life. Um, also, my wife for brewing our fourth kid right now. <laughs> oh, brewing wow. your fourth. All right, That's congratulations. Exciting. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, question number two: How do you like to waste time? Um. It's mainly reading. I uh, read a lot and uh, TV shows as well. And I'm a, I do enjoy cigars. Ah, oh, nice! Yeah, nice. good, good. Yeah. All right, number three. What is on your nightstand? <laughs> this is a funny question for me because if I'm in bed, it's because I'm going to sleep. Mm-hmm. So, so you don't need anything. There's what is theirs because my wife thinks it helps aesthetically you know, for the room. <laughs> uh, so it, it like is something that looks appealing. Uh, I guess, you know, it's not really anything that's important to me, but yeah, I would, uh, there's, there's two books there, which I'm not mm-hmm. reading, but two books. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I that's great. That. Uh, number four, what is an important lesson that you've learned from failing? Hmm. I ask my son all the time, actually, uh, uh, I ask him, "How do you want? How do you become a master?" And he says, "I have to fail over and over and over." Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I, I think I, I would say uh, that I have to first assert myself toward believing that I, uh, that what I want is valuable in the first place. Yeah. Um, but I think failing shows me that I had the guts to try in the first place, and so now I can keep doing it again and again. Mm, that's great. Yeah. So I, I have the capacity. Uh, I have what it takes to do this. Let's go. You know, I have to fail though to find out if I do. I have to, you know, find out if I if I have or don't have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Number five. What are the first words you want to hear God say when you meet Him face to face? Um, something I ask my kids every night before they go unconscious <laughs> is, "Who are you?" Mm. And I've taught them to respond before their name. They don't say their name. They say, I am loved. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think simply for me, I think I'd want to hear I see you and, and who you are is loved. Mm. Mm, beautiful. Well, Seth, this has been awesome, man. Thank you so much for your yeah. time today yeah. and for just letting us into your inner world and sharing mm. uh, so much great content with our listeners. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. If you benefited at all, 
from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our guest today, Seth Abram. For more content from Seth, check out his Instagram at Integrated Enneagram. You can also find his podcast, Fathoms, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Also, special thanks to Crosspoint Ministry who helped train us in the Enneagram. You can check them out at crosspointministry.com. This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. We provide internships focused on service, community, and discipleship for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or a year, and you'll grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. This episode was written by Lindsay Lewis and myself. Rachel Zabo is our media director and producer. Anna Tran is our audio engineer. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Community.